I just thought this particular topic was going to be better served if I if I give you guys some visual references because we are not going to be talking about carbs and fat and cardio and, and things like that today, uh, which I think to me is is super fun. Anytime we can start broadening into different orbits and, and look at things that help us become successful other than just the mechanics and the technical aspects of nutrition, I think it's incredibly valuable. Uh, I was having a conversation, I was being interviewed by somebody and they, you know, talking about how in the last 10 years, I've done three master's degrees in different forms of social science. And like, is, is that because I'm going to try and change careers? Am I doing something different? And I said, no, it's really, I, I'm just kind of that, that chronic student who wants to keep learning. And, and this is where the, you know, my own path keeps taking me. But it's all so incredibly relatable to the things we do. Like, if you look at my history, uh, just academically and interest-wise, I mean, you, you kind of see that whole gamut. If you talk about, you know, mind, body, spirit, or, or the mental and the physical, you know, I start out in physical medicine, get into nutrition, health science, and then, you know, into personal psychology, but then really kind of pulled into social psychology, which is what we're going to talk about today. There's was an interesting convergence. And what caught my eye with the particular study we're going to go over today is, is how it applies to everything, but often in, in our daily chats, we, we talk about you know, that, that dichotomy, the two sides of that same coin that even Dan DeSalvo brought up Wednesday again, which is it's, you know, it, it's all about the food and yet it's not at all about the food. It's, it's one of those two things in, in different, different intensities, but let's, uh, let's, let's talk about what we're, gonna, what we're gonna cover a little bit today. So the title of this study is, is Knowledge Creation in Groups, the Value of Cognitive Diversity, Transaction Memory or Transactional Memory, and Open-Mindedness Norms. And I'm going to explain what those three things are in a little bit more detail and in, in what the premise of their study was, what they were really looking for. But, uh, but first, I need to give you a little bit of background. That One of the reasons, again, this, this particular study really stood out to me is... Uh, it's it's so rooted in some emerging branches of psychology that that it's it's really a, a great convergence of thought. So here's here's kind of the foundation for me. When I did my master's degree in in literary journalism, uh, I I was in creative nonfiction or narrative nonfiction, and I ended up doing a kind of a hybrid memoir narrative nonfiction on. Uh, uh, it's really kind of a parenting book. It's it's intergenerational fatherhood. Yet the the social science base was all looking at our development. You know, first as children, then into adults, then into parents, then into parents of children, and and our own parents are older and so forth. All those different sequences of of just humanhood. And, and they're all rooted in personality and developmental psychology. So there's this foundational book. Yeah, University of Pennsylvania is where developmental psychology, personality psychology, positive psychology. I mean, they are just the, the, you know, the place to be if you're looking at some of these emerging uh, branches of psychology. And what you need to know about this particular book, because this is written by two of the greatest uh, social psychologists of our era, they they were contrasting their, their thoughts and their needs clinically, looking at the DSM. So whenever somebody, you know, the DSM, I think we're up to like DSM 9, 10, something, I don't know, is it four? I can't remember, Kevin, five. But um, you, there, it's just, you know, the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual of, of Disease, Mental Disorders, Mental Classifications for, for you know, Behavior. And, and they proposed that this is a, you know, book this thick that just tells you all the ways a human being can be screwed up, wrong, you know, somewhere off of, of the scale of norm into pathology. And they thought that's just, a, that's just a wrong and poor way to consider it. So they classified all of the character traits that we value as human beings. And, and they started mapping things out, looking at the data, looking at research. And they decided there are really six categories of character traits. 
And among those six, there are kind of kind of a breakdown of four each, about 24. And instead of saying like, this is a strength and this is a weakness, there are always strengths that, that have tandems. And I'm going to explain that to you this way. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of give you the punchline right now. This one single trait I said that you have to have if you're going to have any level of intelligence that's useful to you. We can all know things. We can all know facts. But what if those facts are actually wrong? I mean, what if everything that we think we know about a topic is just flat out wrong? Then that, that's not useful knowledge. Yet it is normal. You, you may remember a social psychology study when they look at every, every group of 100 people and, and you say, okay, about this topic, how many of you think you are above average? Like you're above the 50% line of understanding this topic or in just your raw intelligence. And always, I, th I think it's an absurd number, something like 75, 85 people always think they're above average when it should be 50, right? Like 50% of the people should say, yeah, I'm in the top half or I'm in the bottom half. I, I know my, my pecking order in, in you know, social and emotional and, and literal intelligence. Yet we all think we're smarter than we are. We all think we have the answers that we may not have. So this particular trait that they're studying is open-mindedness. And, and that's a huge part of when, when you look at these, these 24 character virtues and traits, and you look under the broad category of wisdom, you see creativity, curiosity, love of learning. Let me, let me jump up here to the next one where that's kind of broken out. Then under those six different traits under that one meta trait, you know, look, look under curiosity, you know, interest, novelty seeking, exploration, openness. So that's a, that's a grouping that you could say, you know, in just any personality psychology test, you know, that's, that's a strength of some people. And I might test at, you know, 90 out of hundred on that or, or 40 out of hundred, maybe that's not something I value that much, but I'm going to, I'm going to bounce kind of back up here to that prior slide. What if, what if instead of being open, uh, it, it's not, I'm not going to say that you're, you know, it, a, a troll, like you're just so closed-minded, but but think of another strength that just kind of tamps down openness. And that could be kind of go up there to justice. If I if I think that things have to be fair, like uh, the, the number one founding principle of social psychology is the just world theory. So everything's got to be fair. Everything's got to be black and white. There's a right way to do things. There's a wrong way. It's you're high in justice then you're not going to be very high in openness or curiosity because everything is settled for you. Here's, here's my value. I'm, I'm this or I'm that. We, you know, those are the people who love labels. And if you're this, you're right. If you're this, you're wrong. Uh, and and that's, that's the antithesis of being open-minded. In all of these traits, we can even look at a context. We can say, well, about this topic, I think I'm kind of open-minded. I admit I don't know that much about but with this, like this is something I know about. This is why I would die on this hill. I know this is true. And, uh, and that, even though that is a strength, you know, think of that. It's, it's in that category that includes things like leadership. You know, you, you got to have a plan. You got to have some dogmatism somewhere. If you're somebody high, high, high in those traits, you're not going to be very high in openness. And I would say that was something that I struggled with 20, 30, 40 years ago. I was, you know, as a young person, you know, especially kind of introverted, kind of insecure, you know, I, I wanted things to be black and white. I wanted things that I could say, I, I can trust this. And that's, that's almost how we start developmentally. That's, that's a safety zone. And then, then we start layering in open-mindedness. Maybe not everybody does, but, uh, but this is something that's really cool. If you guys ever wanted to go to that particular website, viacharacter.org, you can take assessments that, that kind of teach you about this and show you your personality type and all that. But, uh, but let's, let's, let's move on. I just want you to know that there's an entire science behind this that, you know, that studies character development, personality, psychology, developmental psychology. But here's uh, here's somebody who really took a huge step in, in this field. Um, I think it was 2008 is when I hired Corey. 
And she's probably the, the third or fourth, you know, really close friend and, and employee slash team member that I've had with a background in psychology. I just, I, you know, for some reason, people who, you know, major in psychology and philosophy, things like that, like I, I, I have a lot in common with those people. So I, I remember in 2008, I was speaking in Canada, sitting in an airport, uh, had just spoken, you know, at a conference and, and this, this was in the bookstore and I, and I picked it up and I remember picking it up because I thought, man, this is something Corey would love. And so I picked it up, read it and I'm like, oh, wow, this is amazing. And now it's something that, uh, that Corey talks about quite a bit because Dr. Carol Dweck, uh, psychologist at Stanford, did a lot of research and showed that there are two types of mindsets that could really predict success. One person can be very closed-minded and one can be very growth-minded. So again, I'm not qualifying these as good or bad. It's just whatever is useful to you in the context in which you're engaging. So somebody, somebody who's closed-minded, when they get criticism, they get defensive. What are you talking about? I'm not that way. Or they ignore it. An open-minded or a growth-minded person says, well, gosh, you know, that's kind of painful, but I, you know, I need to know that. If I need to change a little bit or if, if that's how other people perceive me, then I, I need to at least evaluate that. So that's, that's leaning toward growth and openness. Uh, somebody's effort, if, if, if somebody's closed-minded, they say, oh, it's not even worth it. Don't even try. I'm not going to do that. You know, even if I get that degree or I, you know, lose 20 pounds, I'll just gain it back. That's, that's stupid. You know, it's fruitless. Somebody else looks at effort and they say, man, that's uh, that's cool. I'm going to try that because I want to, there are, there's something about that. I want to master. I want to, I want to learn from that. When obstacles come up, a closed-minded person, they just like, I'm done. You guys remember these studies done between, I think, Japanese and American children? You give American kid with an unsolvable problem, like a math problem that there's really, like they're tricking the kids. There's really no answer you can come to. You know, uh, American kids give up after like two or three minutes. Japanese kids, you have to like pull them off like a pit bull an hour later and say, no, I'm just kidding. You can't, this is not answerable. And yet those kids just want to keep trying. Uh, there's huge cultural study challenges again, when something like, Hey, this is going to be something, this is a problem in, in, you know, our, our organization or, you know, whatever our industry, some people say, well, whatever, I'm just going to go over here and just, you know, I'm just not going to involve myself in that. It's not my place. A growth minded person embraces that they jump in. They want to see that. So, so you guys get the, 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 the hint here. So we're, we're looking at character strengths and virtues and the fact that this one category that is actually titled wisdom, you know, if, if you want knowledge that actually changes you, that, that gives you, it's, it's what I call the, the truest truth. Uh, there are many times in all of our lives when we think we know something and then we find out we were wrong. And like I said, we can either dogmatically try and defend something and, and, and sink deeper into our own biases, or we can just admit, yeah, I was wrong. I need to change my view on that. Uh, so we can, we can look at those character uh, strengths as Dr. Dweck even, you know, takes further into what I, th I think is a really precision type type place. But then you have to consider, okay, knowledge doesn't exist in a vacuum. My success isn't always just dependent on me. So along comes psychiatrist, uh, Dr. Siegel, and now he has created this entire new branch of psychology called interpersonal neurobiology. And the reason I love this is everything starts with the organic. Whatever your brain capacity is or limitation, that's, that's the number one block. That's the foundation. Then you can get into cognitive behavioral therapy. You can get into psychoanalytical type stuff, but the brain is the brain and that's your starting base. That, that is home. And so Dr. Siegel created this entire model of thought that we are social creatures. So anytime we're interacting together, you guys and me today, because our brain, and there's some great study that actually shows what happens in functional MRIs with two people's brains that are communicating, we are looping together right now. And I don't mean in a woo-woo mystical way, like synapses in our brain, our, our limbic system, you know, hippocampus, memory, cerebral cortex, everything, we are, 
we are all being changed right now because we're in this moment in this workshop together. We're going to have a shared experience. And so, uh, you know, Siegel's entire point as a psychiatrist and counselor and neuro researcher is we've got to stop thinking about just me, 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 me. You know, what's what do I need? It's, you know, how does the entire world change me and how do I change it? How do we interact with each other? So the, this particular book was another one. He's, he's got several great books. Another one that came after this was called Brainstorm, uh, which was very enlightening to me. But one of the things that uh, Siegel did was he, he looked at the fact that, you know, when it's us and other people and we're constantly in these social loops, how do I become my best version of me? How am I going to be the best person in those interactions for myself and for those other people? So he said, you know, first of all, there's all the five senses. That's one hub of this wheel, you know, that, that we can be aware of. You know, you, you guys hear Corey talk about that a lot. Um, you know, if I'm anxious, you know, I feel that in my chest. I feel my muscles tighten or, you know, all the other senses there. Um, what, what I just described is, is actually that that sixth sense, the interior of the body, that 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 interoceptive awareness. But then there's also kind of that that external um, awareness, which is what's happening with that other person. You know that interconnectedness, and then you know that seventh sense is even just um, you know what's you know what's the context. You know, am, am I am I having a day that I'm already kind of anxious or on edge? Am I you know, feeling this way? Did I not get enough sleep? Or, you know, where am I? And if you look at that little spoke of attention he has out on the side, it's just him showing that you get to decide where you're going to focus your attention. And if you don't, if you're not cognitive of that, and you're not looking to be the person in control of it, then it's just going to be brainstem level impulse, you know, whatever your brain is, is trained to do, that's where you're going to go. So for me, for example, that's always kind of the, the baseline introvert in me. I'll give you an example. Um, there's, a, there's a historic gym here in Evansville, Indiana called The Pit. It was started, I think, like in the 50s and 60s by a cop. It's, it's famous, like world famous, like Louis Simmons type gym. And uh, a, a friend of ours bought it a couple years ago and is trying to make sure it survives and lives. You know, the founder of it is like 84 years old. So I had not been in it since our friends bought it. And I went in there yesterday. And immediately, it was like the best, most logical thing that could ever happen in the world. One of the founding guys who was like part of this whole like, you know, pit cult in Evansville was a personal friend of mine that I had not seen in probably 10 or 15 years. He's, he's got to be close to 80 years old himself. So here he is. And it's like, it's just what you expect. Like, like if I live to be 80 years old, you're going to walk into a gym someday and see 80 year old Joe sitting there on a leg press or something. You're like, geez, like 60 freaking years later, Joe's still in a gym. Well, of course, because that's what I do. So I see this guy and you would think I would be excited, right? I haven't seen him for 10 or 15 years. I immediately... I immediately turned sideways and got behind my wife. And my first thought was, oh, I hope he didn't see me. And then I thought, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, this is a friend. And like my first brainstem impulse as an untrusting introvert, everything's always like, I'm always in the back, just kind of surveying things, you know, before I decide what kind of move I'm going to make. I'm literally at 51 years old, hiding from a friend just to avoid social interaction. So in this hub, this wheel of awareness, that was me just going right to my, my genetic normative behavior. My second thought after I called myself out for being so silly was to literally just go right up to that guy and say, Roger, Hey man, how you doing? You know, can I, you know, can I get your autograph? Is it, I didn't even know if he would recognize me. Uh, we had a great conversation. So that's being aware of what's happening in your own brain and your own body and a social interaction, even just in a private response to a situation and realizing I can change my behavior, but I can only change my behavior if I'm aware of what's happening. 
So we started with character traits, right? So overall personality, psychology, knowing who you are and, and whether you're strong or not so strong in, in openness and growth mindset type stuff in, in that major division by Dweck, you know, she's, she's saying, you know, even if you're an introvert like Joe, uh, don't be so close-minded. You know, Joe, you, if, if she was talking to me, she'd say, that's your, that's your impulsive home base. You're going to be withdrawn and, and you're going to retract away from social situations and challenges but you want to, you want to grow. You want more intelligence. You want greater relationships with people. So, Joe, I've got to, I've got to push you out a little bit of, of your comfort zone, and we've got to push you into that growth mindset. And then Dr. Siegel would say that's important because we live in a social world. You know, what if I just hid from my friend Roger and just went home? You know, no harm, but I would have missed a great opportunity to just have that connection again and just a good conversation, you know, something positive for both of us would have totally missed out on that opportunity. And of course, that can lead to real missed opportunities. So then, as I said, Dr. Siegel would say, you know, we got to be aware of these things to control it. So one more person I want to throw into this mix. Uh, Julia Galliff is actually a statistician. And she started kind of jumping into <clears throat> some social science research because she created this organization um, all about rational thought. And she's kind of like a new, a, a new stoic, or if you were thinking of, like if you look back at the enlightenment uh, philosophers like David Hume versus Rene Descartes, there was empiricism versus rationalism. And she's, she's kind of picking up the, the baton for empiricism. And, and this is what she said she has observed in personality, especially as a, as a data analyst and statistician. Um, you know, people tend to have two defaults. They're either the soldier or the scout. And, a, and, and this, this has to do with belief. So, 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 you know, look at that subtitle of her book, Why Some People See Things Clearly and Others Don't. So, how do you understand that the knowledge you're actually gaining is true or if it's false? Uh, and, and, you know, there, there are a lot of things to consider. And, and I, can, I can actually only think of um, examples that are like either politically or religious, because those are the places that really divide us into like, this is right, this is wrong. No, you're right. No, you're wrong. And I, I don't want to be too explicit here because I don't want to offend anybody on either side, but there, there are there are fundamentalist type mindsets that we get into where we truly believe that something is absolutely right or wrong. And, and of course, we're always going to perceive we're on that right side. But let me explain to you what, what a good scientist does. And, and I, I would hope that you start using this as a filter when you listen to people. I was listening to a podcast, two researchers were having this conversation and one of them would they one would ask the other one a question and the one who was much more humble and open-minded his language was filled with phrases like well you know i i just really can't say i don't think the data is clear on that or you know i don't know you know i i, I think we need more information to find that out or you know to the best of what we understand what the research done right now here are the things we can conclude the other guy is like, this is right, this is wrong, that cannot be this, you know, and so you've got this kind of a pseudo debate. And one guy is so I mean, I, I think anybody, but well, maybe not, I shouldn't say that. I was gonna say, I, I would hope anybody would see that this guy is really standing in a glass house. I mean, everything is right or wrong. And, and so he's leaving himself open to actually uh, be proven wrong instead of just humbly having that science mindset that, well, I don't know, this is, this is what I think right now. This is, I, you know, my mind could change with better information. And, and that's what a scout does. A scout is always looking because if we go to this next graphic, they're trying to create a better map. This is what a scout does. They, they want accurate information. They don't, they don't sink themselves into their in-group bias or their sunk cost bias. They, they are just simply open to anything that's true because they humbly acknowledge they don't have all the answers or they wouldn't be scouting and searching and trying to learn. Whereas the soldier mindset is, I already know it all and I'm gonna fight you to the death to defend it. 
And that those are two massively different mindsets and they are very, very predictive of people who are gonna be smart and successful at what they do and people who are not. We actually went over a lot of this when we, when we did that meta-analysis review on flexible dieting, right? People who had rigid dogmatic views of diet and nutrition, like this is right, this is wrong. They were always the ones who quit first. They were always the ones who failed. They were always the ones who, who had depression and anxiety. They were always the one who over catastrophized everything. They were hyper vigilant about everything. They were the ones who had the poorest interoceptive awareness. And it was the people who had an open mind who had more favorable rate ratings in, in all of those categories. So let's, let's get back to this study. Now I, I wanted you to bring, I, I want you to see that trajectory, like I said, of some of the more modern, you know, social scientists and, 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 just, just kind of bridging the gap between psychology and, and neurobiology. But this is what this particular study wanted to investigate. Um, if we're trying to take a group of people and, and test them, like, like two different groups, into who's going to actually conclude something that is righter or truer than a person or a group who comes to a wrong conclusion, something that's factually wrong. Because again, the, the whole chat today is about the science of intelligence. The information that we are procuring, can we actually increase our ability to be correct and look for the things that are right and, and make that useful and helpful to our lives? So that's what they were, that's what they were looking for. Um, they, they, they broke down the model of the study like this. They said, okay, here's what happens. We all have individual knowledge accumulation. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read things on my news feed today, which is already self-biased, the things that I would even be interested in or, or look at. So I've got my mental state, my perspectives already. Then we're going to interact with groups. We're going to be in social contexts. And then we also have all of the environmental things around us, the things that are in our culture, the things that are in our recent history, you know, things just happening that are relevant today in, in just collective consciousness. So, so that they're looking at these things, that they're looking at those as the three places that, that there, there's probably some impact. And then they thought, okay, now when we actually interject information to people and we're going to see who comes out with the, the more proper, appropriate, correct interpretation and assimilation of that knowledge. There was always, like I said, that, that individual bias. Then there's interaction. We're going to talk about it. I mean, think of like a jury pool. You, you, you see the case. Everybody gets that information. Everybody's individually filtering this. Then you go back into the jury room and you, you have to deliberate. So now you're going to interact. And then there's an analysis, you know, pretty soon you start laying out the facts and so forth and, and juxtaposing those. Then everybody, back to Dr. Siegel's point, integrates changes in some way. And there's now a new change. You know, everybody is slightly different or maybe profoundly different because of what just happened. And so let's let's get into what they found in the study. Um, I just kind of went through all of that. Um, it, it just some little nuances here, even in that interaction phase, when, when somebody's interacting, you know, how we even do that. There's, there's another branch of psychology called the psychology of persuasion. The way we use language, the way we use symbols is very, very important. Um, an example, a lot of people don't know this, uh, Hitler, Adolf Hitler in World War I was an officer in the German army. Do you know what his job was? He was the director of propaganda. So then he spends the next 20 years butthurt because Germany got beat. And in the Treaty of Versailles, Germany's borders got shrunk. They had to pay billions of dollars in reparations. You know, they lost. And so they, you know, they had to, and, and he was a seething. And in his mind, you know, one day I'm going to get back. He entered what was called the, uh, the, the Socialist Workers Party, I think. Uh, it was only a, like a one-year-old type group. And uh, he immediately got, you know, took over, got the founder kicked out, changed it to the Nazi party and started this whole crusade of impacting the media 
and, and not, not just his own party, but the country with propaganda. I mean, that was his thing. He was an expert in the psychology of persuasion. He was not just a nut. He was on a 30 to 40 year mission, hyper intelligently, just absolutely brainwashing people. And, and that's, you know, it, it, he used a lot of these, these shared history of Germany. Some of their like, I mean, you're going to find this funny, but it was literally make Germany great again. You know, those immigrants, let's build a wall. They're, they're taking our jobs. Every single thing that you've seen in this last administration, you know, this, this was a model. This was exactly what he would do. And, and so in that psychology of persuasion, when you get to that second step as, as individuals, the, the person who has that soldier mindset, they're walking into social interactions, just trying to change people's minds. They are offensive. But somebody who, who is open-minded, they're, they're there to learn. It's like, hey, we'll sort this out. Like, I don't have an agenda. I don't have to prove anything to you. I'm here to learn and to share with the group and we'll decide as a group. There's something very collective and humble about that. And then, as I said, those people who end up on the better side of integration and creation, as you'll see in the results of the study, were the ones who had that, that trait. So, so the first thing they did here, uh, for you guys to know, this was a survey model. So, gosh, it looks like, what, almost 800 surveys sent out to different people. Um, then they, they and, and the way they looked at it, they broke it down into these particular type uh, categories. So cognitive diversity is, you know, are, are you actually listening? Are, do you want information that may counter yours or are you just putting up a wall and defending your own position? So that was one particular category they were studying with a seven point Likert scale. A Likert scale, you guys have all filled these out. It's, you know, here's a statement. Do you strongly agree with that statement? Do you somewhat agree? Are you neutral? Do you disagree? Moderately disagree? Severely disagree? That's a Likert type scale. And, and the reason these are so valuable in survey research is it, it's a way for people to not display, ironically, dogmatism. Like it's yes or no. It's like, well, I don't know. Maybe it's, you know, I, I kind of believe that, but I'm not a hundred, like I don't, I'm not, I wouldn't die on that hill. So maybe it's not an absolutely agree. Maybe it's a somewhat agree. And so you get these, these much, much cleaner lines and trends of, of discerning people's actual positions because you're giving them a choice, not just a yes or a no. So you don't, you don't end up saying that something as a result of your research is true when it was just somewhat true. And, and this, this comes up very importantly on, on the next slide. But there's cognitive diversity. Am I willing to listen to other viewpoints? Transactive memory. So this, again, is what automatically is in my brain. If I have a philosophical or worldview or religious viewpoint, and I think this is true or political viewpoint, this is 100% true, then that's, that's a memory. That's something that's in my way of open-mindedness. And then there are your actual just, you know, acceptance of open-mindedness, you know, kind of, kind of the opposite in that character strength. So they looked at these three distinct categories among all these people. And when, when you, I'm not going to get really deep into the, the uh, statistical stuff here, because I hate stats and if, I don't think anybody really likes them, but the, a standardized coefficient beta is, is where you're measuring the strength of effect between a, an independent and a dependent variable. So for example, if I'm trying to decide if there's any correlation and I'm doing all of these tests and surveys and I'm running all of this stuff through regression models and all of the stuff that statisticians do with, you know, obviously the more data, the better, you know, the, the widest group, then, then how sure can I say that if I do this, I get this result. And they found extremely high correlative norms with their study. So with cognitive diversity, for example, if somebody had a, the, the, whoever had the broadest experience, the broadest input, they, they weren't listening to their own little echo chamber, but they were willing to listen to people of, of different beliefs and, and perspectives, they had a 33% a, a increased chance 
of, of coming to the, the right conclusions, of, of actually gaining knowledge that was true and useful. So that's a, that's a big step. If I'm if I just listen to other people and I don't just say, you know, la, 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 I'm only going to listen to so and so or, or this perspective, you know, I'm, I'm always going to come up with the same answer. It's always going to be the same answer I get in my own little world. But if I listen to other people, then I can say, well, I don't know, I, I kind of agree with that. Or I really like that's really interesting. I need to think more about that. Or I, 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 I'm going to stand on my principle here. I disagree with that. You're at least fielding information and you get a 33% better chance of actually coming to the right conclusions. Now, here's the opposite. If you have super, super high transactive memory buy-in, like you, you got those staunch beliefs and you're not going to be moved, then you have a 40% chance of staying put and avoiding the correct information. So in other words, you have a 40% chance of staying wrong. You, you, you believe something wrong, nothing's going to change your mind. Then the, the biggest category change were people who just really had an open-mindedness. Instead of, instead of being the soldier, they were the scout. They had a 52% chance of actually learning something that was truer and more useful than the knowledge they came in with. So I'll ask, I'll ask this rhetorically. We don't need any, any shows of hands or anything, but if you could be 50% greater at your ability of recognizing truth and, and changing your own behavior so it's more useful, I think that's a good thing. Uh, I, I think I would like a 50% better chance at that. I would like a 40% reduced chance of staying wrong. I would like an extra 33% chance of being right if I'm, if I'm just willing to listen to other voices and opinions. So, so here's what they concluded. Um, I'm not going to. I move my window box over here a little bit. Uh, the findings support the idea that, that, that new knowledge is created through interactive processes, just like Dr. Siegel would say, based on the sharing and integration of previously unshared knowledge. So growth mindset, I'm willing to look and lean and get myself out there. In particular, knowledge is dependent upon the existence of des disparate perspectives. Like it, we actually have to interact with things that we don't know or we don't agree with if we're going to actually improve our ability to, to have better and new knowledge. These can be understood as prerequisite tacit knowledge assets. So again, open-mindedness, even though it, it, all of the knowledge I have, every bit of experience, every bit of academic knowledge, all of that that's in my brain, even if some of it is wrong, it can be useful because I at least have some knowledge as long as I understand the perspective of other people, as long as I'm willing to let them have some influence in me. So, so the, the knowledge that we have, even if it's wrong, can be tacit knowledge assets, but only when we're willing to, as a group, you know, willing to learn, willing to listen. And this is what, this is an interesting part that I thought was one of the best sentences in the whole study. These processes are interwoven rather than linear they're connected through complex interrelationships. So the more interaction we have with people, the more we understand Dr. Siegel's perspective of interneural personal biology, uh, the more open-minded we are, as Carol Dweck said, and the more we're actually, we're truly looking for truth, as Galef would say, you know, that we're not just there to defend our own positions. That makes all the difference in the world. So, the reason I thought this would be important for us is there are so many elements to social science and so social psychology in this, but it also comes down to sometimes it's painful to accept some change. And I had an interaction with a friend and, and client uh, this last week where there was some frustration and, and this out of just pure frustration, there was almost a slip into an old pattern of thinking. And it was this, well, since I'm losing weight slowly and it's kind of a challenge and I feel kind of plateaued, I just want to quit. Like, just forget it. If, if, if you, if you have to do this like a hundred percent all the time, every second of the day, you're focused on food. I'm just done. I'm just going to be destined to be, you know, where I am now. And, you know, that just kind of takes the wind out of my sails because I'm thinking, wow, that is the 
exact opposite of a growth mindset. That is that is catastrophic thinking. That's that that fruitless thinking. You see an obstacle and, and you you run from it or you see a challenge and, and you feel like there's no no hope for you. Um, but it takes new information to change that. And this is somebody that we've had a lot of talks and I've seen some tremendous, tremendous growth with this person. So in one email exchange, I was able to kind of call her out on this a little bit. And, and we, you know, and, and, and we moved back to a center position where we could keep going. So what just happened in that process? That person's default, much similar to mine as a personality trait, is you know threat perception, keep everything and everybody at arm's length and withdraw. That's when she was at her frustrated, like, I'm just kind of done moment. And yet, in the last couple of years, she's been incredibly open-minded to learning new things and to seek things out and change and growth, both physically and emotionally and psychologically. So she was in a position to say, man, I, I trust you. You've always been for me. You've always had my best interest at heart. Thank you. You know, thank you for seeing that in me and moving me forward. That's the kind of social interaction that once, once you're open-minded and you put yourself in these positions to be part of a group, not just client coach dynamic, but literally just in a group that you can trust and, and who you feel valuable, uh, you know, within that's everything. I mean, I, I just, you know, I, I could not, I could not be more excited to talk about something as I was today, because this is foundational to everything that we will ever achieve. So if you're somebody who, who wants to have this great physical transformation and, and you're looking for, you know, improved health and so forth, you can focus on just the mechanics. You can count macros, you can do a meal plan, you can do this, you can do that. And if you don't have these bases covered, I think it's going to be very short-lived. And the, the research certainly shows that with a, with a you know, 95 plus percent recidivism rate. So um, let, me, let, me, let me unshare here because I want to give you guys a chance to, to chat. Any, uh, any questions on all that? Uh, look at all you people who jumped in after I didn't see you anymore when I was sharing my screen. Appreciate you guys being here. I thought it was just like me and Kevin and, and Steve this whole time. So go ahead, guys. Un, un, unmute anybody who has any questions or any comments, wants to jump in on my favorite little hobby horse here. Go ahead, Roseanne. I love the inner character strengths. Talking about that, I did that with Dr. Corey when I took the motivational mindset coaching. Uh, and that, I took that, uh, there's an actual survey that you can take and it takes about 20 minutes and it lists your top five strengths. And it's just really interesting. It's actually really, it's proven to be super valuable with coaching my clients because we can see what strengths are really high in and which ones that are a little bit lower. So they're rated on one to 24. And then it actually gives me a really good understanding of where they're at and we can focus on strengthening other ones. And yeah, it's been, it's been a real deal breaker. And it's been, especially I've noticed it with uh, dealing with conflict, you know, the, the real, those are the, sometimes like clients that are more black and white thinking they're really high in justice and fairness and that kind of stuff. Whereas, you know, just focusing more on the humanity parts uh, has really helped. So bringing brought an openness to it. Yeah. And, you know, Roseanne, just by being aware of those things, like you said, where you can, you can first recognize them in yourself. Because when I first looked at that 10 years ago, the reason it blew me away was because I was such a black and white thinker. And so you think that, well, this trait is good. This one is bad. You know, I want to get rid of this trait. And that's just not true because the other side of open-mindedness is like you said, you know, justice, fairness, and, and those are good qualities too. And so it's never, it's never that you just blindly go to one. Cause if you were 100% open-minded, you would believe anything. You'd believe anybody. They, you could be conned into anything. So you 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 want to be on that scale, and based on the context, you may play one strength a little bit stronger. You may play it. You may down tamp that down and play something else. But it really does help you visualize things as it, you know nothing is wrong. 
It's just maybe I'm overplaying this strength. Like maybe I really need to soften up a little here because I'm missing out on the benefits of, of being closer to that midline. And then, as you said, you see other people that way. Instead of everybody being like, okay, you're right and you're wrong, or you're a good person, you're a bad person. I like you, I don't like you. You can start assessing them in terms of like, oh, I totally understand why they think that. Like, instead of saying, I think they're wrong, you can empathetically say, yeah, I, I get why they believe that. I, I understand exactly that mindset. I know why they're drawn to that. And I, I can disagree with them. And yet we're not in conflict over it. Like th that, is, that is such a groundbreaking thing for most people to ever even learn from the first place. Yeah, I just found it, yeah, really interesting. And, and to your point, like we can overuse or underuse any of these, of these strengths. So just even knowing about all of them, which ones we're hiring, and just like you said, like drawing out ones that may be more useful. Maybe we want to strengthen that for certain times and occasions, and especially when it comes to taking care of ourselves. It's, it's become really important. You know, I'll give you another example from that trip I took to my friend's gym. Amazing. Again, this is historical. This is like walking into the Smithsonian Institute for weight training. And, um, and then you turn around to, to leave the building, the front of this massive, massive building, the entire front wall facade in gigantic letters says, Jesus is the answer. And I'm like, first of all, okay, like I was here to lift weights, not go to church. Second, like, what if I'm a Muslim? What if I'm an agnostic or atheist? And if Jesus is the answer, and there are 50,000 denominations of Christianity, like which Jesus are you talking about? Because if I'm like a liberal Methodist, and you're a super conservative Baptist, you know, so like, so my first question is just why? Like, why? Why put something up there that, that you're, you're saying is a dogmatic axiom? Like, this is something to die for in your gym like you're this is where social interaction interpersonal neurobiology takes place you're automatically just putting a wall up between you and anybody who doesn't agree with that statement so you know why not just say loving people is the answer or positivity is the answer or like open-mindedness is the answer you can do anything or just have nothing just you know but but again like that person wanted that there to be a point of division. I'm going to put this in your face just to make you agree or disagree with it because I want to have a fight. That's a soldier. That's not a scout. Um, no offense to soldiers like Winnell over there. He's, he, he's, he's a scout-minded soldier. But uh, anybody else, anybody have any uh, questions or comments about, about the whole topic? Go ahead, Kevin. I'll add Joe, just, it's no coincidence when I was in my last leg of active weight loss in 2011, 2012, that's when I picked up uh, Dr. Dweck's book on mindsets. It just for my, I, I, I can't remember how I stumbled upon it, but I read it and that profoundly changed my outlook on the world. And Add into the add into the mix as well as taking more research courses and just becoming more progressive in how I thought and that things were just not black and white. As I, very similar to you and a lot of others, developmentally, that's how I thought. Um, but progressing myself academically and, and clinically, and then add that book on top of my own personal weights. It's no coincidence that during that last leg, that was my most successful and. Here I am now nearly 10 years after the facts of practicing that because it is so profoundly impactful, but that is the, the, the secret sauce, if you will, to sustainability is to understand that it's, there's a spectrum. We have to you know, not be dogmatic in how we eat or view food or relationships across the board. It's just a matter of seeing, seeing the world as is and, uh, going from there that I'll, I'll go into a whole big diatribe with like uh on that but just want to bring up that it's it's really that simple it's not but it also is uh, it's once you get on the other side of it it looks simple but i I, I would say in my younger days when i was in my 20s being very black and white and very dogmatic you know i i had my positions on nutrition and health 
And it's like, this is wrong. This is right. This is the way you do it. This, you know, if you came to me as a client 25 years ago, that's the Joe you would experience. Now you guys hear me say, well, I don't, you know, here's in research why pure ketogenic dieting is not exactly correct, but here are the things we can learn from it. And here are the contexts you might want to try it, but there's no longer this, like everything's right or wrong categorically. And yeah, it's been, it's been quite a journey for me, probably from about that same time with those same influences. Winnell, were you going to jump in there? I saw you reaching for your camera, I think. No. So first off, I, I think this is a really difficult topic to, to discuss. Um, uh, just like you said, I think you have to switch between, or I find myself switching between soldier and the uh, scout mindset, being in uniform and stuff like that. But like, so you talked about, you know, the Jesus is the answer, right? Something, something that I'm dealing with here in the deployed environment is the COVID vaccine, right? So it's a super political topic, right? And yes, you can have your views, but like if you take a step back, this affects the mission, right? If these people get sick, because we're, we're, I can't force the vaccine on them, right? It's still their option. But the truth is, if I have a squad go down, a lot of us are going to be working longer shifts. A lot of us are going to pull, uh, you know, having to do duties that aren't ours. So it, it, that's a tough balance. So I think like here, um, I guess, depending on your role, you'd be a soldier or a scout. Like here as a, as a commander, I definitely have to do the soldier mindset. But like back on staff where I'm just like working policy and stuff, I can be a scout because the responsibility isn't all on my shoulders. Right. Um, Dude, but I, I, again, I think this is a really tough topic. But thank you. It's Winnell, it's tough because this is the entire fulcrum of humanity. Like it, literally, like everything that we do rests on this. Like you just said, politically, something like, you know, wear a mask, don't wear a mask, get a vaccine, don't get a vaccine. All the way to if you don't believe this, I'm going to kill you. You know, think back to the Crusades and the Inquisitions and you know, 25% of every single person in our species has died because of religious war. And, and that's just because I think this, and I feel like you are wrong. And so I must kill you. And that's, that's the top level, but we get all these layers of friction and so forth where it, it it's, I can't say it's unnecessary because it's how we do collectively come to better conclusions. But going back to the study, when, when people come into a group to decide what's true or truer or what is the best step forward. Like, let's say we can't even know truth here, but with the information we have, what's at least the next best step. That's where it's always the people who are open-minded, putting their own personal dogmatism to the side. And just like you said, this, I understand your personal rights. I understand your personal liberties. I don't want to infringe on your personal freedoms as a group, we have to decide what the group is going to do collectively. And, and that does, and, and we always think that's the antithesis of my freedom, but we can decide like a friend of mine on the phone the other day, he said, I don't think masks do anything, but if it makes you feel better, I'll put one on, go in the grocery store, that kind of thing. So he was at least willing to say, I dogmatically stand here but for the sake of our species and the group and other people, I'm willing to, to go along with the group. So I'm, I, can, I can dial back my need for personal freedom and liberty and dial up my need to, to be part of, of the group and, and inclusive. So you're right. It never goes away. This is not something that you personally just make a change and you're perfect. You got every, every decision you're going to make is now going to be correct because there's always the group dynamic. And so there will always be conflict but we just want to shave away the needless parts of that, you know, especially again, for what's useful for us. Yeah. And then last point, if I could just tie it into, I guess, like this yeah. conversation, um, I know like a, a lot of these, uh, a lot of the people on here are coaches. I'm not a coach. I don't have clients, but I have been an instructor. I think like that's the same approach that I take with my students when I was an instructor. Some you are a scout and some you need to be a soldier because these guys aren't, or they're not following the guidance that you've given them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in different contexts, for sure, different relationships, you know, different people are in different places, and you're both evolving. That's that whole interpersonal part, you know, we're, we're always both in, in different places. And, and doesn't mean we have to hate each other or disagree, you know, vehemently, we can just politely disagree and move on. Go ahead, Roseanne, I think you're gonna jump in. No? 
Okay. I was just saying goodbye to Kevin. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, I didn't see Kevin say that. All right. Um, well, anybody else have any comments? Any any questions? Nicole, jumping in. Or Tiffany. Sorry, I'm on my iPad and forgot how to unmute it. Um, for me, it's interesting that um, when Al said that there's the flexibility where there's a time and a place to use some of those character traits versus another. I feel like professionally in medicine um, and just like social issues, I'm very good at ha like being open-minded, having the research type of mind. But when I reflect back to my nutrition specifically, I have a difficult time applying those concepts. So I'll think like a food is good or bad, or um, like, I don't, I don't know, just little things that are like fads that you think about that you're just trained culturally. So to me, it's interesting to see these concepts based in science applied to my behavior on that level, because it's not something that um, comes easy to me. Yeah, it, and I, I think that was a great example that Winnell brought up as well, Nicole, is that like in with COVID, it brings up something that normally you wouldn't think is political, like this is medical, this is biological. But then, man, does it get political very fast because there are worldviews there. We, we come in with that transactive memory. You know, we have a bias. And so it, it's funny because, this, you know, even like my wife and I, we have dogmatically differing, like polar opposite worldviews in some perspectives. So you would think I, I, couldn't, I couldn't be a friend with this person. I couldn't be a spouse to that person. Like we can't do this. It can't work. But we decide, I still respect you, and I'm still for you. I'm your ally, not your adversary. And we can, we can bump up against those topics once in a while and you know, get a little friction. And then it's like, okay, that was the wrong conversation to start. And maybe, you know, I shouldn't have said that. And, and you learn to kind of put that cushion back in place. And if more people did that in society, even over tacit issues like nutrition. Like I don't have to fight. I don't have to wake up every day looking for a fight on Instagram. Like you don't believe this, you're stupid, blah, blah, blah. Like you don't have to do that. You can live in a place where you still like and respect each other, but you're open-minded and you're, you're just trying to improve yourself. Go, go ahead, Tiffany. We're going to jump in. Yeah. So when I went to uh, officer candidate school in Maxwell Air Force Base, Alabama, the first thing they made us do is take the Myers-Briggs type indicator find out what we were and then they paired us up with people that were the opposite of us and then threw us in situations where you had to do TLPs or GLPs which Winnell knows exactly what I'm talking about group leadership problems here you you're in charge of this scenario figure it out and I realized much later how to apply that to my real world job because now I'm sitting here amongst people that don't have that same mindset or thought process and I'm like why don't you think like this? Like, this is mind blowing to me. But then I started kind of like learning, like I said, this dietitian Nans type of deal. And I was like, oh my gosh, that is literally applicable to every single different client that like Steve sees. If you sit down and you just like look at somebody or you read the way that they write or anything like that, you have such an upper hand on just getting to know them one-on-one -on -one and helping them succeed because each person's so different. It's, it's insane. And then like coming back to your food, like it's taken me a long time to do what Nicole was talking about, like where you can just, nothing's bad. Like somebody gave me a bunch of food that they didn't like frozen meals. And I was like, man, that has like 40 grams of fat. So I'm going to take a third of that. Sorry, I lost you guys. So I'm going to take a, a third or a sixth of that and eat that little bit and then something else. I could never do that before. But then I realized that comes back to like my type and what I am and how to evolve and grow from that but that takes a lot. It does. Like, I think, I don't think you can even do this when you're young. Like it just, it just takes getting kicked in the teeth a few times in relationships. And, and, you know, we, we keep learning knowledge like this from, from these psychologists and researchers and so forth. And it's like, Oh, that's a good idea. And I, I don't think it's any irony. Like the four that I picked, you could go to their seminal book. Like, like here's like here, this defines everything I think about my entire field that I've spent 30 or 40 years studying and they can boil it down to one metaphor or one graphic open versus closed mindset, scout versus soldier, interpersonal neural relationship, your interpersonal neurobiology, you know, here's, here's the hub of awareness. Like, you know, they, they can show everything they know in that one simple meme and I think that's critically important for those of us who are like looking for those anchors to hold on to, to grow and become better people. So it's just, I don't know, you, you, it, you just, as they say, you know, experience, wisdom, time, 
Uh, it's either going to help you keep growing and learning because you're looking for that growth or you're just going to resist it, resist it, resist it, resist it. And you're just going to be always that person that everybody avoids because you're just not open-minded. Like, I mean, we, we know people like that. And, you know, I, I think we dislike those people more if we are like them, you know, it's that classic projection. If I'm hyper dogmatic and I'm always looking for a fight and so are you, if we agree, then we're going to be great friends, but we're going to have a very small circle of people because everybody else is wrong in our opinions. So it really does just come down to that, that openness, like Kevin talked about before he left. Especially with these things, like I'm, I'm applying this to nutrition and the fact that we're we're all looking to be better. Let's let's accept the fact that everything we think now about nutrition and so forth, you know, we could change our minds if if some better research or some better you know thing method is shown. Then I would say, wow, that's interesting. Let's try that. You know, let's let's see if there's any value there. That's that's just part of continuing to, you know, as as Winnell said, you know, stand back, be you know, be, being open-minded doesn't mean you're stupid. You know, you can still be analytical and, and have that justice and fairness kind of model in the back of your mind, but you, at least you're willing to cross that 50 yard line. 